Welcome to the Relatively Damaged Podcast by Damaged Parents, where alone, judged, wrong people come to learn maybe, just maybe, we're all a little bit damaged. Someone once told me it's safe to assume 50% of the people I meet are struggling and feel wounded in some way. I would venture to say it's closer to 100%. Every one of us is either currently struggling or has struggled with something that made us feel less than, like we aren't good enough, we aren't capable, we are relatively damaged, and that's what we're here to talk about. In my ongoing investigation of the damaged self, I want to better understand how others view their own challenges. Maybe it's not so much about the damage. Maybe it's about our perception and how we deal with it. There's a deep commitment to becoming who we are meant to be. How do you do that? How do you find balance after a damaging experience? My hero is the damaged person, the one who faces seemingly insurmountable odds to come out on the other side whole. Those who stare directly into the face of adversity with unyielding persistence to discover their purpose. These are the people who inspire me to be more fully me. Not in spite of my trials, but because of them. Let's hear from another hero. Today's topic includes sensitive material which may not be appropriate for children. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as advice. The opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Today we're going to talk with Janice Eisman. She's had many roles in her life, mother, founder of Body Couture, and more. We'll talk about what it's like to be a lone parent in today's society, the judgments that need to be overcome, and the confidence that has to be found. Let's talk. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Welcome, Janice, to Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. How are you today? I'm excellent. We're really grateful you're here. I am very happy to be here. I love talking about this topic. Well, that's good because you're on the right podcast for that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so your biggest struggle, what you said is lone parenting. So wherever that journey started, go ahead and start there. We're going to walk through that process and I'll ask you some questions along the way. Okay, perfect. So I am a lone parent and I did not write the definition for this, but I wrote an article for Elephant Journal that's been read almost a half million times. And it blew me backward because the reason that I wrote that article was I have a 10 year old and it's crazy to think about this, but only a few years ago, we really didn't have podcast and Facebook resources the way we do now. So when he was, I think around four, I felt personally burned out. I felt like I was in the darkest possible days where, you know, everybody assured me this was going to get easier. It did not feel easier. And I have a strong memory of laying in the top bunk of his bunk bed in the dark beside him, having spent untold number of hours wrangling him to sleep as I, as I always do and feeling this sense of claustrophobia and darkness that really matched being next to the ceiling where you can't breathe because it's hot and it's dark and 
if I sat up, I was going to bonk my head. And my whole life just felt like that. And I picked up my phone and I looked on Facebook. So we're talking about something that's about six years ago. And I was part of a single mom group. And back then, really, there was like one or two single mom groups. And I posted a question that was something along the lines of, I'm feeling just this dark cloak over me. I don't know what to do. And the responses I got were encouraging. You got it. But I didn't feel like I had it at all. And what I was really looking for were practical tools and practical advice and somebody who had walked this path ahead of me. So while it was helpful that they said you got it, it wasn't really helpful that they said you got it because that didn't mean anything. You didn't have anything to a task to associate with that. Correct. And so I think that really where I landed with that was I was kind of on my own, which is how I had been the entire parenting path, but I needed to find a way out. And then it became something where I felt like I wanted to help others because in that moment, when I was reaching out for help, the best I could get was kind of a sunshine and rainbow saying, you can do this. But I didn't have any practical advice. I didn't have any tools. I didn't have any sort of way out. And so last year, I wrote that article to become that voice and to shine that flashlight into that dark closet because I remember being in his bed and having that darkness just wash over my body where I had come four years through it, but the pathway was not getting any brighter up ahead. Yeah. And it sounds like you were really disappointed that there wasn't something you could do. And if you're only getting, you've got this, I'm just thinking about this. If that's all you're getting and you don't feel like you're capable to the task at hand, which is overwhelming in the best of circumstances. And at the same time, it sounds like you're feeling alone. How did you keep going in those moments? Did those, I got, you got this, did those comments, did they help you to keep moving forward? Well, no, not at all. But what I did get out of that was there isn't anybody who's going to actually help me. I need to figure this out and I need to come up with a solution. I need to make this work. And I need to actually then be in a position where I can help other people, which is exactly what happened last year when I wrote that article. And the reason it blew me backwards is because I have received at least 5,000 comments from people who resonate, relate, are in that position. And a lot of them say, you've given me voice to my experience. You are me. Thank you for putting words to this. So Although I didn't write the definition for what a lone parent is, I accidentally became a sort of spokesperson because I really wanted to be that person that I didn't have. And a lone parent is somebody who is alone. We end up in that circumstance for a number of different reasons. It It's almost a little bit misunderstood because a lot of people don't really understand how we end up there in the first place. But it could be a partner who has left and wants nothing to do with the birth process or the child. It could be a partner who has died. I actually received a lot of notes from people who are in that scenario because they're actually military. So although they do have a second income, the spouse is gone for sometimes years at a time. There are lone parents who are actually grandparenting 
because the parent of the child is either deceased or they're an addict. There are people who are in that scenario by choice. So they set out to be in that scenario because they couldn't find a partner. I actually know a, a man who is a single parent by choice who had a surrogate and he's now expecting his second child. So there are a lot of lone parents, but yet we make up a very small percentage of single parents because it is phenomenally more common to have a second parent who has at least some involvement. When I'm talking about lone parenting in that aspect, I'm not saying one is better or one is harder or one is easier or one is worse. It's simply a fact that a lone parent just isn't splitting custody and we're not getting child support. There is no second parent. And that yeah. is in every aspect of it, but first and foremost, it's legal. So before we continue with this conversation, I just want to make that part clear because I have had people that get very offended that we have a, this as a category and it, I can't speak to the experience of raising a child with someone else or sharing custody or child support payments or divorces or any of that. That's not my experience. So I'm not speaking from that experience. I only am speaking from my own experience and it's literally just a definition so that people can kind of understand what it is. It's not saying that it's easier or harder. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of people may fit into that category whether they're divorced or not, single or not. Yes, absolutely. It, it it almost doesn't, it does not seem to discriminate because I could be divorced and fit in that category. I could also just be single. I could also be married. I could be any of those things. That's right. And, and actually, as far as it goes, quite frankly, if you feel like a lone parent, you are. I had people that wrote to me and asked if they were lone parents because they're married and in relationships where they are fundamentally behaving as lone parents. And I mean, I feel like if you feel like you are, you are. We don't right. need to sort of look at any other aspect, but that's just sort of a fact. It almost sounds like what you're saying, this is going to sound kind of funny, but a friend of mine was, was trying to figure out if she had an allergy to gluten and she stopped eating gluten and started feeling better. And, you know, I'm thinking, why not? You need to go get a test. And she's like, why would I go get a test if I know that I don't eat gluten and I feel better? So it's kind of like, it just is what your experience is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, legally speaking, there are certain definitions, but at the end of it, someone who's raising a child all by themselves has a certain experience and it is different than somebody who is co-parenting. I have never in my life had to deal with custody. I have never had to deal with divorce proceedings. I have never had to deal with child support payments. And those things all come with their own fun games. I have also never lived with a spouse, which also comes with its own fun stuff. And so I think that there are pieces of my experience that actually every parent can resonate with, but there's also pieces that are unfathomable to somebody who has a spouse or who's has that 50-50 custody arrangement or who's getting child support payments. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I can agree with all of that. It's just a very complex yeah. subject. I mean, yeah. it's hard. It's really hard. And also, I just want to round back to the art. I noticed the timeline. It took you about five years to write that article. So what happened after that night? <laughs> That's a great question. So 
something really interesting happened that I wouldn't have ever predicted. I had that strong sense of loneliness, isolation, darkness, claustrophobia. And one of the strongest pathways out for me was actually volunteering. So I volunteered with an agency that unfortunately has subsequently folded called Motherhood Matters. And it functioned like a big brother's mentorship program for young moms. And so they were women under the age of 24 that had children. There was no prerequisite for those women to be single parents. And there was no prerequisite for them to have given birth as teenagers. But in most cases, both of those were true. And I actually gave birth, as I mentioned in that article, I was almost 34 years old. So I was older than all of them were. And I still had this huge point of commonality in the fact that I was a single parent and a lone parent. And it was so rewarding. I was actually the first single parent that they'd ever had that volunteered for that program because typically they said, single or lone parents don't have the resources or the capacities to give. But I actually created the time out of very thin air to do this because it mattered so much to me. And so my son was actually a volunteer as well. He helped with the little children and he was their youngest volunteer. For nine weeks, we had a group program and we would go through self agency exercises. So where we did an exploration of values and who we are as women and who we are as mothers and what matters to us and self-esteem. And then at the end of that nine weeks, the young women had the opportunity to choose a mentor to work with for a year. And I did the program twice. So I spent two years doing this and it changed everything for me because suddenly I was in a community with other women who were often in my position, even though we were, I was old enough to be their mother, but I found that some of those conversations really made me appreciate where I was in life. They made me appreciate the things that I did have. They made me appreciate who I was and have that gravitas of being a little bit older. The great thing was that a lot of them felt the opposite where they actually really appreciated how they had youth and how they had a different energy to bring to parenting. And so it was just a beautiful experience because no matter where we were, we all found that there was something about our experience that we could really appreciate just by having that diversity of seeing somebody else. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. And because what I heard you say was that Although you were old enough, you could be their mother, you found commonality, you all found commonality with each other and different values for you that didn't fit for them. They didn't judge you or get mad at you because you had different values and same for you that you were able to come from these two different perspectives that are very complex and bring it together and work together for the common good, which was to, it sounds like it was to uplift everyone, including you. And absolutely. And I felt like it was just, that's exactly right. It was the mutual inspiration club. And I follow most of the women on Facebook. In fact, I got a message from my second mentee today 
And just watching them flourish and grow and mature as women and mothers and young professionals and watching their children grow is immensely satisfying to me. And it really changed everything about how I saw being a lone parent. That was the first moment that I really had that sense of appreciation and that sense of even ownership prior to that. I was a bit embarrassed that I was a single parent. I was a bit embarrassed that I was a lone parent. And that really settled me into that experience. And part of it was simply, I hadn't met another lone parent. And so although people tell me quite often that it's common, I just hadn't had the experience of meeting other lone parents. I definitely met single parents, although frankly, even that was a little bit less statistically common with a child under five than it is with a child over five. Yeah, so I want to investigate and better understand the that embarrassed feeling yes. of being a lone parent, which like we said earlier, can be defined on many different levels yes. in many different avenues. But I'm, I want to understand why you felt embarrassed. It was a little bit of a shattering of my self-identity. So I was the A plus student, the Dean's List student, the achiever professional. And it's, it's still to this day jars me slightly when I think of looking back at a photo of myself from high school, that this is how I lived my life. It's not what I expected. And it's not at all what I would have predicted. I don't know that it's what anybody who knew me would have predicted because I fit more into that goody two shoes, hyper achiever category. And that isn't to say that goody two shoes and hyper achievers don't have children or don't become single parents. It was just, it's something about the way that I saw myself and this kind of wasn't it. So it's okay. So just real quick, did you picture, so I'm thinking high school, you've got this idea of what life is going to look like. Yeah. And part of that, it sounds like from what I'm hearing you, what I'm not hearing, but what I'm hearing you say is that looked like the family with the house and the dog. And the, I think the dream most, I, I don't know, it's a dream I had. I'm thinking a lot of women have this same dream. A lot of men have this same dream of having a family and what that looks like. And there's this idea that it needs to look a certain way. So I'm thinking... Yeah. And actually that one's really interesting because I ended up at the time that I gave birth, I actually was working in a fashion media job in New York City and I was surrounded by really fun, gregarious, outgoing people who dressed up and had a glass of champagne in their hand and then were munching on hors d'oeuvres as we were at these fabulous fashion events, including New York Fashion Week. So I think that I really didn't think of myself in that motherly role at all at that point. I was in the zone of life where I wanted to start, but everybody in New York kind of lives on a bit of a different time scale. So I was the first person in my peer set to have a baby. And I was, you know, nine days before my 34th birthday. So that's not young at that point by traditional North American standards, but in New York City, that's young. So I think that my brain was moving into that territory, but I hadn't quite caught up with my brain yet. And right. so it, it was something that from high school, 
I couldn't have ever imagined. But even at the moment when I was actually in the situation, that wasn't really the life that I was living. And it wasn't kind of something that I was working towards and moving on that pathway. Yeah. So it was embarrassment on a bunch of different levels then. So it wasn't just this idea of what life would look like from high school. It was also, you're on this career path. It sounds like you're a strong businesswoman. You're ready to go. And now you're getting thrown into the left field sort of. Yeah, exactly. And so I definitely think that also created a scenario where a few years later, I mean, it did take me a couple of years to cognitively catch up to, I ended up moving, I ended up changing careers, I moved to a new city in a new country. And so I had a lot of things to rebuild in terms of my self-identity. And I think we are all familiar with how much you have to rebuild that self-identity just to be a mother, period. But then I had to be a single parent on top of that. And I didn't really give a lot of accommodation in those days to the idea of lone parent is another layer. But I was rebuilding everything about who I was. And so it it didn't happen like that. Now, I don't think it happens like that for any mother. We talk about pregnancy as this preparation period, which it is, but it certainly is not the end of the self-identity movement. I think that actually takes... I don't know, but it takes a couple of years, I think, to really settle yourself into who you are as a mother. Actually, the the experience that I had with the Motherhood Matters group where we got to go through these exercises, I was like, every woman should do this. Every woman should get these exercises when we're pregnant. We should all do them afterwards. Just taking that time to really go through your value system and get to know who you are and really settle into those changes is actually something I didn't hear anybody talking about, but we have to completely reframe how we navigate through the world. And it's not about getting back into your cute jeans and snapping fun photos on Instagram. It literally changes how everyone in society relates to you and how you relate to your time and your priorities and your body and your house and your you're put into this primary caregiving role, which is a huge shift for all women. And I just think it takes a long time to rebalance. No matter what kind of parent you are, you can be married, you can be single, you can be alone. It's a process. So I think that mine probably took a little bit longer because I didn't see it coming necessarily. I wasn't planning ahead. I didn't have that picture of myself in the white picket fence land (laughs) with the minivan. (laughs) You weren't there yet. So, well, you said your son also volunteered. So that was a few years after you had that wake up call, if you will. Yeah. And the values thing, that sounds really interesting to me. I'm also a mom and I don't think I knew my values would change either. No one ever had that conversation with me. No one ever had it with me either. There is this whole new identity, but okay. So you're in this class, you're getting to investigate your values. They're getting to investigate their values. You're recognizing it doesn't matter whether I was a teen mom, you know, a 34 year old mom, this experience, this portion of the human experience is so similar that we all have to figure out who we are again. That's right. That's right. And I think women have a much bigger task than men do in our culture. 
because there really is a cultural value system around what a mother is. A mother is someone who selflessly gives. A mother is someone who puts her child first. A mother is someone who basically martyrs herself and is nurturing and kind and all of these different things. And that might not be who you are as a person. And that's okay too. And so really settling into these are the things out of that narrative that I actually accept and that I want and that I embrace and it's who I am versus these are the pieces of that narrative that I can push out. So this is a small example, but on the first day of school, we are traditionally bombarded on social media with photos of everybody's children underneath a tree with their cute outfits great new school hair. And then there's a letter board right beside the child. So it's either chalk or letters. So-and-so grade, whatever. These are the things they like and they're adorable. That becomes part of that narrative of moms are artsy. Moms are crafty. Moms love baking cookies and decorating them. Moms love spending time doing art projects with their kids. And then they take the art project outside and they set it next to their child and they take this adorable photo and share it with the world. I struggled with that. I actually am very creative. I'm a writer. I'm a photographer. But no one wants to see anything that I have written on a chalkboard. I do not have the skills to create sort of that fussiness of a letter board. And it and it bothered me and I felt all this pressure because I was like, ah, I failed as a mom because I can barely get my kid to stand underneath the darn tree because he's had so many pictures taken of him in his life that he's like literally running. And my girlfriend said to me, why are you doing this? You don't even like crafting. I had to actually sit there and take that in for a moment and think, you know what? She's right. I'm putting pressure on myself to get art paper and construction paper and markers and little fuzzy balls and glue to sit at the table with my child because I think that's what I'm supposed to do because moms are crafty and I put that in quotation marks. And that conversation with my girlfriend really let me go, allowed me to let go of that value system, which frankly, I didn't create. That isn't my value system. My mom, I don't, think was really crafty. She baked and cooked, but she didn't, I have zero recollections of her sitting crafting. And I went to school when we had film photography. So there is like some sweet photos of me with one eye open, one eye closed. And so none of that actually adds up to anything that quote unquote matters. But I think it's that narrative of what a mother is in our society, in our culture. And so the opportunity to actually go into my value system and say, I'm rejecting that. And I'm not a crafty mom. I am not a crafty mom. How did you do that and be confident in doing that and knowing that? Do you understand the question? Because yeah. I think a lot of moms, because of this society that says a mom needs to look a certain way, they think they have to. And if they don't, then they're not going to be accepted. So how do you do that and feel good about it? If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. How did you do that and be confident in doing that and knowing that. Do you understand the question? Because yeah. I think a lot of moms, because of this society that says a mom needs to look a certain way, they 
think they have to, and if they don't, then they're not going to be accepted. So how do you do that and feel good about it? Well, and that's, that was me having a conversation with my friend and literally stopping. I remember pausing and there was dead air on the phone and I was like, yeah, I have no idea why I am trying to put myself into that box. I think that in my case, I have a career that I care about much more than I care about gluing fuzzy balls onto construction paper. (laughs) And so actually allowing myself to let go of the perception that I needed to spend time forcing myself to learn how to be crafty and putting more time into the things that did matter to me and spending time with my child in a different way. But it was literally going through that exercise verbally. But the other thing for me, I wasn't a traditional parent from the moment that my child was born. It isn't that common that there's only one parent on the birth certificate. So there have always been some things that I just, I'm just not coming at this in the same way. So when my son was, I'm going to say three, I had been hit with the narrative over and over and over that it gets easier and that I needed a break. We see this everywhere. Moms need a break. That break is usually girls night out or wine. Isn't that so true? I didn't even think about it. You're saying it. And and what's flashing in my mind is, you know, what I see on Facebook or on Instagram or even on TikTok. Yeah, and it's, it's and on TikTok, it's bad on TikTok because you get these ornery posts of, of moms drinking yeah. the wine. So let me tell you, as a lone parent, there was a few times that I did, I did tipple back some wine. And that is like a nightmare because the next day, who is looking after your child? And I, I'm a small person. I'm five foot four and 125 pounds. So I have two glasses of wine and I definitely don't feel great the next day. So I don't need to drink a whole bottle of wine to, to be off. So I was like, okay, this is not going to work for me because I don't have help the next day. And when you feel like you have the flu that you basically got in order to take a break, it just didn't work for me. So when my son was about three, I literally recognized that this break that everybody kept telling me, oh, you need a night out. You need to have a glass of wine, you need to get away from your child, that this was just not going to happen. So my sister lives nearby, but she's a 20 minute drive away. And so there was at least a year that I tried the cultural prescription for having a break. But what it would look like, I would get done work, I would go pick my son up from the day home. So that was 20 minutes each way to do that. Then I would drive to my sister's house. So now we've got another 20 minutes. Then I would drive 20 minutes back to meet some people for a glass of wine. And without exaggerating, by the time I got to that table, they had already been done work for almost two hours. And so their, their after work drink was basically wrapping up. So then I would have a glass of wine and then I would get in my car and drive another 20 minutes to go to my sister's house, get him back in the car. And 
that's something when you're talking about an 80 minute round trip drive to have a glass of wine, you can do that sometimes, but that cannot be the basis of your break. That cannot be the basis of your downtime. That cannot be the basis of your recovery. Cause I don't know about other people, but I do not even really like driving. And if I never had to drive a car again, I would be like, a okay. So the, the stress and the time and then calling in a favor for my sister. And yes, I was lucky enough to have a family member to help, but that definitely came at a, at a cost in terms of I had, and it's reasonable. I had to drive him there and come and pick him up. Nobody was, and and again, that's not an unreasonable ask. So I did that for almost a year and just felt like, okay, this is, then there came a day I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I'm cutting out anything. Yeah. And it sounds like what was supposed to be a break really was a lot of work and it was not really a break anyway. It was not a break. And then I think really the folks that I met in that kind of sphere, that was just the expectation. And you can't take a baby into a bar anyway. So, so I realized at that point when, you know, I did that from probably the time he was two to somewhere when he was three, I was like, okay, this break, this mythical break is not coming. There is no break. So I need to step outside of this messaging because I don't have someone to make me breakfast or to take my child while I'm in the other room, just reading a book. So I literally got out a piece of paper. I wrote down the things I liked and the things that I knew my son liked. And I looked for those places where they overlapped. And at that point I stopped trying to do stuff that was just for me, but I also stopped trying to do the stuff that was just for him. So those indoor play places that most cities have, we have them in spades because I live in Canada where it's cold eight months of the year. I hate those places and I hate them. But they also are places where, at least the ones that I went to, the parents' bodies are actually too big to get into the play equipment. So then the parents sit at the bottom, the children play, and I just felt like I was in some sort of special hell box. So those got chopped off the list. We're not doing that anymore. I decided that I was not going to go to those hyper kid-focused events, so there are shows and different theater projects that are just dedicated to shows for two and three-year-olds. I wanted to poke myself in the the eye with a fork with those. It just, I didn't enjoy that kind of pitch of music, et cetera. And so much as that sounds sort of quasi awful, I, that was the first moment where I had to get rid of that mom guilt. I had to get rid of the sort of the shoulds and the expectations about what other people were doing and how they were parenting. It's really great to take your kids to a play place or take your kid to a theater show that's for two-year-olds when your circumstance then allows you to go and have a glass of wine and get together with the girls and go to the gym and do these other things where you can feel that sense of relaxation and restoration. I didn't get that. It was just recognizing that my reality did not allow for that. And so I started taking my son to the things that we both authentically enjoyed. And it truly wasn't that hard. We both really love cultural things. So we went to festivals and museums and different events. And we had a great time. I didn't feel like I was doing it quote unquote for him. He didn't feel like he was missing out on anything. And we spent a ton of time together. So that was the longest answer ever to get back to how a couple years later when he was in school, how was I able to sort of shed that? Well, I had already done it once. I had already said I'm rejecting personally because it just doesn't work for me the way that we typically 
think that we have to parent, which is to make the entire world revolve around the child's activities and the child's interests. Because I couldn't, I literally couldn't go to work all day and then spend my entire evening and weekend focused on probably is probably because he was a boy too, like Hot Wheels and Lego and and things like that. And certainly I love my child. I also like my child and I like watching him get lit up and engaged by things, but I just wasn't in a position to completely sacrifice all of my limited spare time just to Hot Wheels and Legos. And And I think though, in some ways, society says we as moms need to, that once you have this child, forget about you, forget about what you want, you are nothing. And yeah. if, if you do happen to have something or be someone or want to affect change, then it's wrong because you're not focused on the child. I agree. I actually, it it is very rare, but there were more than one comment that popped up on that Elephant Journal article from males, P.S., who said, you shouldn't be writing, you should be focused on your child. And the article is meant to help other people. The article is meant to help me. The article is meant to be a creative expression, but that notion still very much exists. So it definitely happens that anytime I think a woman steps out and steps away from my child is the sphere of my world, it isn't necessarily always taken with kindness and grace and compassion for what that woman might be going through. Yeah. And I'm not certain it's the healthiest thing to do either. Not the stepping away, I think is important. The, the 100% focus on what this, the child wants and the child not needing to, well, there's just no negotiation, no room for everybody to be who they need to be in, in the scenario we're talking about where, a parent, mother or father, is required to, in some sense, make it all about the child and not about the, the family as a unit. Right. And I think that is one area where lone parents are living a heightened expression of it, because at the end of it, we are the family breadwinner in terms of income. We also have to look after all of the domestic tasks, just like a two-parent home. We also have to look after anything that is the car, the house, the mowing of the lawn, et cetera, depending on where you live. And then we have to do all the childcare pieces. And so at the end of it, there isn't capacity, at least there wasn't for me, to self-sacrifice and make it all about him and have nothing left for me, no space in my own life, which is actually at the end of it, that's how I did live for a while. And so I know it doesn't work for me. I think that people have different ranges and capacities that they can do that. But what I can say for sure, until COVID threw the blanket over everything, I can honestly say that my son, and my son would tell you this himself, he never felt one moment of sacrifice. It's just what we did. We took a tour of the ice cream factory. We drove down to a museum where it's called Head Smashed in Buffalo Jump. And the indigenous people actually literally ran buffalo off the side of a cliff and then created food and lodging from that. 
we live in Canada. So we went to the Canada Day Festival and explored all of that. Every single weekend, we were doing this kind of thing. And I really enjoyed it. Some of the things we did, I hadn't done since I was a child or I had never done. We were spending time together. We were engaging in the world. We were taking in culture. And so I struggle to think that I was doing something wrong or bad by not taking him to an indoor play place or not letting the world revolve around him. It was something that we literally just enjoyed doing together and both of us enjoyed it equally. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking you're going to going and doing all these things that are different instead of going to the play place with the blocks every single weekend. And that just seems like it would get really boring to me over time. Whereas what you're, what you're doing is showing, giving diversity in experience. And I think that's also really important. Yeah. We had a lot of diversity and again, I mean, COVID sort of put a stop to a lot of it because these things literally don't exist, but they will again, and we will carry forth. But that was the first moment that I really had to step outside of what culture told me I should be doing and what advice I was given and really step into myself as a mother, as a business owner, as a woman and say, I reject that because it literally doesn't work. What ended up happening was it only happened twice, but that was still, it was twice. I remember crying on my bed because I had asked my son to just give me like, literally, please, I need one and a half minutes, but he was three. He doesn't know. And just not having any space to even breathe in my own life. That didn't work for me. So it actually wasn't some sort of massive cultural rebellion. It was literally born of, I can't, I cannot do this like this. And so it doesn't matter what's expected of me. It doesn't matter what my peers are doing. I don't have the same parenting situation. I don't have the same capacities and I'm not a failure. I have to find a different way. Yeah. And I just can't help thinking how many married couples are probably thinking the same thing, but because they're capable, able to, right. They're, they're doing what society is wanting them to do. And then the neat thing about COVID is everybody gets to rethink. And so what do you guys do now? for this COVID? What do you do? Oh yeah, not a lot. So my son is school-aged and he is at home with me all the time, which isn't the best for him, but it's what we do. So we have just kind of settled into, I mean, I, there's nice parts to it. He's kind of around all the time. So right before we started recording, he was wandering around the kitchen, getting some food. And so we have more micro interactions. I think that those bigger opportunities will return, but we haven't really replaced it with some kind of amazing other thing. I wish I could tell you, but what I definitely notice is he is, he is absorbing things that are happening in my business because I work from home. Now he actually started his own podcast because I'm guesting on podcasts. And so I'm seeing that mirroring of different lessons and different explorations. And he's actually learned to shop for his own groceries and make his own food. And so there's, there's just different stuff happening here, but COVID has really put us to the wall because I still have a full-time job and he is a 10 year old child who has been basically tasked with filling his day. So he spends a lot of his day listening to podcasts and playing some video games, doing homework, watching YouTube videos. But this is the way of a lone parent. We don't have 
we don't have options. There is no second parent to, in our home anyways, to sort of buffer that fall. So we have just made the best of it. We actually had a therapist work with us to try to actually make the best of the situation. And, you know, I, I think that those outside activities and events have just been sparse for everyone. So we're not alone in that. <laughs> no, no. And I think it's really neat. You said that you had a therapist help with that transition so that, yeah. so do you think that you and your son work, is it more as a team now that, that you're in the house all the time, which I don't think is a bad thing. Some people might think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing, but what are your thoughts on that? I mean, most of the time we do, we definitely have moments and the biggest moment is actually just about chores. So again, this isn't something that's super uncommon. He's yeah. 10. He just turned yeah. 10 actually. So I'm always kind of nagging him to do chores. He's always resisting the chores. So the other day he, <laughs> I started in on my chore lecture. He cut me off and he's like, mom, you have about 15 minutes in you and I, I've heard it all before. He's like, none of this is new. So we need a code word for this. It should be like banana or something. And then you can just say one word because I already know the whole thing. <laughs> That's awesome. And so I think that there's a couple things that kids of lone parents really do get. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think if I had a second adult who lived with me, I think that I wouldn't push him as much to do those chores and to take that hyper responsibility, but I don't have any choice because I cannot take a 10 year old who has outside responsibilities and cultural and societal expectations and also pick up after him like he's a two year old. So I really create that expectation for him that it needs to get done. And if he doesn't do it a week in a row, we're going to get that banana lecture. <laughs> right. Well, and I think too, it sounds like he's learning and growing and you're really teaching him how to survive in the real world and not in the pretend world of mom or dad is going to clean up after me. Correct. And I think that's cuts across the board. I also think that at least in our house, there is no place to hide. He is exposed to my emotions. He is exposed to conversations and very real world things because I don't have that buffer and I don't have somebody at night to to chat about. And I'm not saying that I use his, him as an adult in that sense, but he's definitely exposed to the challenges of what real adult life looks like. And... I don't think that's a bad thing. I guess we'll find out in uh, eight or so years. But so I think that the article really talked about that as well. There have been some amazing benefits to it. I think we're a lot closer than an average set of parent and child relationally. I think that the expectations of him are to contribute and that they are to actually be exposed to what real life looks like. He is my plus one to events and activities and travel. And I gave an example in that article. I had a, I have a girlfriend who I've known for over a decade and she came to the city where we live. She was doing her first opera as the lead performer. And so she was kind enough to comp me two tickets and it came with backstage access. Now, if I had actually been in a primary relationship, I probably would have taken my husband or my boyfriend, but I wasn't. So my son got to go and that's an experience. And he's had many of those kinds of experiences where I have 
really thought about that where if I'm traveling, maybe we wouldn't take a family of three. Maybe I would just go with my adult partner or I would have definitely that night at the opera taken an adult with me. But instead he got this amazing experience my girlfriend and I were laughing because it's what he thinks opera is. He got to go to the, you know, the green room backstage and it happened to be closing night. So he got to go to the cast party and he actually went to an art school and one of his teachers was actually there, which was really extra exciting. But that was his first experience with opera. And I love that. And I think that is a benefit of actually being in that lone parent scenario where he gets to be that plus one and he gets to be my sidekick and have these experiences that he frankly probably wouldn't otherwise have. But the downside is it is low cultural support. It is always him and I, it is a lot of pressure to both be the family breadwinner and the domestic goddess. And it is, it is really a pull on my time and my stress and my personal capacities. And then I have to contend with those cultural pressures and decide what I'm batting out and what I'm actually going to allow in. And over the years, I have developed that thick skin where I mentioned in the article that my son actually runs really hot. His body temperature is super hot. So he hates jackets. He hates mittens. And Actually, even as a time saver when he was young, partly because he does run hot, I, I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like we live in a condo where to get to the vehicle, we're inside the whole time. So it makes no sense to put a jacket and snow pants and mittens and a hat on for me to walk this child down to the car. You're actually not supposed to have any of that gear on in the car. So let's pretend that I was going to take it off. But even if I didn't, to stick him in the car in all of this gear to then park a few blocks outside of a day home or a daycare and then take him inside and take all this stuff off. Like he's literally spending less than 20 seconds outside. So I just yeah. was like, this makes no sense. I'm skipping it. But I always have had people kind of showed at me from the street, get a coat on that kid, get men's on that kid. And I think to myself, you don't know anything about this situation. His body temperature is super hot. It was a huge struggle to get him to put a jacket on. And at this point at 10, I'm like, okay, he can self-regulate that. If he's cold or if he's hot, whatever, he can figure yeah. it out. When, when he was younger, I got a lot of public comments about that, which I always found really interesting because I'm like, you have no idea. You don't know how long we've been outside. You don't know anything about my circumstance. You don't know anything about his body. And so just rejecting that kind of notion, rejecting the I'm an artsy mom, rejecting those indoor play places. And it really made me dig into who I was as a person, who I was as a mother. I certainly do not do everything. Perfect. I don't think any mother does. But I have to I have to really appreciate that element of lone parenting because I think that that pushed capacity does make us explore that a lot more because we're forced to in a in a really deep way because there is no backup. There is nobody kind of offering that time and space and that capacity. It's, you've got to find the time, you've got to find the space, you've got to find the capacity. So does it matter? Yes or no. I'm not saying the snowsuit move is every mother's move, but right. for me, that was an opportunity to save five minutes on each side to just skip the whole deal. And that was 10 minutes of my life I could spend doing some other task. Right. That both of you might enjoy, right? Because I'm sure getting him in the snowsuit at a young age was not fun. No, 
No, no. <laughs> okay. So three things that you want the listeners to walk away with from our conversation or just tips or tools you want to give them in being a lone parent, or maybe even simply, I'm going to venture to say just in being a parent. Well, I think that tip one is really look at yourself and do what works for you. I think we had a lot of conversation today about what we feel forced to do or what we feel like we quote unquote should do or what culture is expecting of us. Anything to the extent that you can reject what isn't working for you, because that's the stuff that actually creates strain on marriages. It creates strain with your children. It creates strain within your own body and your own spirit and soul. So whether you're a lone parent or not, whether your child is a newborn or a 10 year old or a 15 year old, it's never too late to actually go through those explorations and exercises to just actually get to know who you are and what matters to you. The second thing I would say is if a lone parent or a single parent, we often have this assumption that everything's handled and they're fine unless they're asking for help. And I actually joined a lone parent group when my child was around seven, I believe, maybe eight. And the thing that surprised me the most was that he was at the low average end of the age of children there. So we often assume that mothers need help in that really early phase, but especially in that lone and single parent land, that burnout is actually happening years later. It's happening later when the community's gone or it was maybe never built up. It's happening later when society and culture's expectations of the child amplify. So at that age, the child's in school, the child's doing extracurriculars. There's more time and money drain on that parent in certain ways than there were when that child was little. So I think that making an assumption that everything is great isn't necessarily true. And I'm not saying that I was like a wreck or a mess, but certainly that need for support and for help has never run out. So I think that it's always a good idea to kind of reach out to that lone and single parent network and offer meals or a cup of coffee or just just a, an ear to listen because we don't live with other adults and therefore that sort of cultural drain, that drain really, really starts to show after some period of time. And it's usually later than what we're expecting. And the third tip I would say is this is possible. So I opened a business after becoming a lone parent. And I later found out that just 5% of female led single parent owned businesses succeed past five years. So I am one of the people in that success category. I'm glad I didn't know that statistic when I opened (laughs) my business, but that's part of the reason that I speak about lone parenting, because I think that we have, again, it's a bit of a cultural notation that single parents are lost or they're poor or they're nobody will ever marry them or date them. I was told so many times how it would take such a quote unquote special man to come into our lives. And quite frankly, I have never struggled to date and I have never found the parenting piece a barrier, but I think that because we have this image, I talked about kind of my own image of myself in high school and it not matching what 
a single or lone parent is, but I think that is a very pervasive image. And I want to replace it with somebody who is confident and competent and succeeding at my goals and speaking and writing and raising a great child who is currently moving the computer all over the place. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> you heard him. He's like, so and raising a raising a child who is confident and just showing that example of somebody who certainly I have growth areas and I have challenges and I have needs and I need support and etc but just being that model for somebody to say this is a different version of lone and single parenting and allowing that confidence of we can do this and we can live these great lives and we don't need to sacrifice everything and we don't need to fall into the bottom of the barrel and stay there and knowing that community is out there and that we can actually achieve i would say that i have in some ways probably achieved more since my child was born than i did before because i'm so focused on the things that I want. And I'm so focused on how to optimize my time. And so just knowing that this is possible is a huge message. And that, you know what, I would say that even cuts across to parents, mothers of any marital status, any parenting status, that we really have more power and more tools and more confidence in us than we're even aware of. I totally agree. Thank you so much for coming on this show today, Janice. I loved having you and I love your story. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. We really enjoyed talking to Janice about how she figured out being a lone parent doesn't have to be alone. You could be married, you could be divorced, you could be in any kind of a relationship and still be a lone parent. We especially liked when she spoke with an abundance of love for her child. To unite with other damaged people, connect with us on Facebook. Look for Damaged Parents. We'll be here next week, still relatively damaged. See you then.